I'm very excited to share this recording with you guys, which happened at our conference, sasopen.com, with over 100 speakers, all founders of B2B SaaS companies. We have a very high bar for what speakers share on stage, so you're going to enjoy this episode where we dive deep into revenue graphs, real tactics, and real growth metrics. You are listening to Conversations with Nathan Latka, where I sit down and interview the top SaaS founders, like Eric Wan from Zoom. If you'd like to subscribe, go to gitlatka.com. We've published thousands of these interviews, and if you want to sort through them quickly by revenue or churn, CAC, valuation, or other metrics, the easiest way to do that is to go to gitlatka.com and use our filtering tool. It's like a big Excel sheet for all of these podcast interviews. Check it out right now at gitlatka.com. All right, guys. So uh, I'm Steven. I am not a founder, so I am head of product market at Paddle. So my role basically is to connect the information streams between the technical expertise and the UX knowledge of the product team, as well as you know the communication abilities and the skills of a marketing team. And so the real things we have to think about are you know number one, how do we, who do we sell to? How do we talk about that product? And how do we price and package that product? Um, and so Paddle, we're an all-in-one, you know, payments, billing, and subscription management, tax management solution. Um, but I actually come over to Paddle from the acquisition of a company called ProfitWell last year, which went for $200 million. Um, we have a free subscription analytics tool. We also have tools for uh, automating your retention and optimizing your pricing strategy. So a lot of today's presentation is going to focus on, you know, what I've learned in product marketing, but also our work helping other companies with their pricing strategies themselves. Um, and so over the next 20 minutes, we're going to talk about, number one, process. How do you actually get momentum on a pricing decision and who do you put in charge of it? Strategy. How do you think about pricing? What are the fundamentals when you're evaluating your product's roadmap and your current product? And maybe some quick hit tactics. Um, hopefully you will have time. There's a lot to cover here. Uh, but you can hopefully win so you can start getting momentum within your org. So, you know, I mentioned that we have this subscription analytics product. We have 30,000 subscription companies, a lot of them are SaaS. 20 to 25% of a SaaS market, depending on how you count it. So we have a pretty good macroeconomic view um, into, you know, how people are spending their time and how these different companies are growing. And, you know, I have good news and bad news. It's probably not a surprise, so let's start with the bad news, is the market's not doing great right now, right? So we actually constructed an aggregated subscription index of how these different companies are growing, segmented based off of, you know, how each vertical is going. And we basically saw that, um, you know, growth in the BDC market basically flatlined starting late last year. Understandably, um, this month, this date is three months out of date. Um, but when you look at the B2B side, you know, BDC is often very much a leading indicator for B2B. So if you're assuming that that trend is going to apply to B2B at some point, then that's pretty worrying. Um, and what's interesting is that, you know, starting, say, July, August last year, we actually started to see growth um, slow down a lot in the B2B space. I've seen the new, uh, an early cut of the fresh data. We actually saw a bit of an uptick in this in January and February of this year, but this is all below before all the Silicon Valley Bank stuff, so who knows what that's going to impact things. So how can we go after this, right? And, you know, the good news is there's some fundamentals that you can focus on that will set you up for success both right now, but also will enable you to iterate much more quickly in the future, ideally when your product improves or when market conditions improve. So let's talk about those fundamentals. So how do you think about your pricing, right? And the first thing I want you to know is this is not a one-time deal. You do not look at this once and then move on. It's a process. It's iterative, and you keep doing it. 
A lot of you probably already talked to customers and have some pricing out there, but I, what I'm going to take you through is a systematic approach of thinking about it, and hopefully if you can implement this, you guys can actually um, get some you know, low-hanging fruit at the beginning of this process. So we've, you know, we get access to all this data, and we've talked to thousands of founders in our time. And whenever we ask you know, founders what their like, main focuses for increasing top-line revenue are, they generally fall in like, three different um, kind of levers. There's customer acquisition, sales and marketing, getting new customers in the door. There's pricing and packaging, figuring out how, what you're going to sell to your customers and how much you're going to get from them for that. And then there's expansion revenue, selling them more products or you know, the flip side, which is obviously churn. And inevitably, we hear that people are spending almost all the time on that sales and marketing stuff, especially at the founder stage, right? Spending all the, almost all their time, they mostly guessed on their pricing work, and they're not really working to gather data on it. And why is this bad? Well, like I said, we gathered data on what they're spending time on, and we basically found that um, you know, there's way more impact on spending a bit more time on monetization, a bit more time on retention, compared to spending time on acquisition. So you can imagine this basically as a founder, you know, spend a couple more hours. What's the impact of spending a couple more hours on, a month on your pricing? It's going to be enormous. A lot of people leave retention on the table as well. That's going to be pretty big. So what I'm basically suggesting to you is just take a couple hours out of a week, shift that from working with your BDR team or your uh, marketing team, and shift it over to thinking about your pricing and how much value your uh, users are getting out of your product. So... How do we do this internally? One thing we recommend is create a pricing committee. Um, and you know, we often see that this is a big barrier because if you know, no one owns pricing, then you never get any momentum. And if everyone owns pricing, everyone has complaints, everyone gets into arguments, you never get any momentum out of it. So not having a pricing committee of designated people to work on this is an enormous barrier. Who should be on this pricing committee? Well, it should be leaders who can uh, kind of surface feedback from different parts of your organization uh, and also see kind of a forest for the trees, get an overlay of the land. So someone product, someone from sales, someone from marketing, probably someone from finance in a capital allocation budgeting role as well. And a lot of the time we also suggest that you add someone as a project manager on this. You know, obviously, you know, founders' time is, you know, pretty precious. So if you have, you know, obviously me from products marketing, I'm biased. I think someone in product marketing could hold this since um, this is traditionally a remit. But if you have a product manager, this is a very good idea for them to hold as well, since obviously they know the product, they should know the persona. And obviously, you know, hitting deadlines and project management is part of a remit. Um, and lastly, you know, you should have a main decision maker, someone who, you know, puts her foot down and then decides what the group is going to go towards to break a tie. Very often, it's going to be CEO or CTO. So, you know, um, talked a little bit about this, but, you know, what does this, uh, you know, pricing coordinator look like? Well, they should be, you know, housing all the data and all the version control and all the documentation around the decisions made. They should be, you know, taking that feedback and pushing through the politics, navigating that. And obviously, they should be focusing on the project management, making sure deadlines are actually set and hit. Um, so, you know, next is what we, I mentioned is establish a research process. I'm going to get into the strategy a bit here, but at a, at a high level, what this basically means is talk to the customer, but I imagine you guys are already doing that, but specifically set up a system for not just talking to customers, but asking a well-defined set of questions, knowing what hypotheses you're looking to test, and collecting this data systematically. So let's talk about the actual strategy here, right? So when I think about pricing, I actually break this down to kind of almost three constituent layers here. Number one is map your buyer segments and personas, know who you're selling to, 
It's match these people to the parts of a product that they value most, so you can actually figure out how much value they're getting. And then lastly, of course, actually measure value. And you'll notice that like, pricing is literally one-third of this. Two-thirds of this is just the legwork to get there. I'm going to focus a lot on the legwork, because if you get that stuff right, then hitting the pricing point becomes easier, and it becomes something that you can iterate upon over time. So talk about, talking about buyer personas and segments, Buyers obviously have a central tenet of your business, and many of you probably have a bunch of different personas, a bunch of different um, you know, target segments. And so, like I said, the task is to figure out, can we get enough information on these folks such that we can actually match them to the parts of a product that they like and figure out how much value they're getting so you can price based off of that value. And so when we construct personas, we don't just focus on the qualitative, right? Um, you know, you've probably have a persona that looks like this, very qualitative. What is this person's age, very firmographics, what, um, you know, the seniority, stuff like that. I'm sure all of you probably have something that's at this level, but it's not enough. And the reason is it's all qualitative, and certainly qualitative is necessary, but you need to have more. So what we normally do, and what we actually do at Price Intelligently with our pricing software, is um, we help you design experiments um, based off of how to collect this data, um, we help to collect the data for you and then parse through that to get the uh, analysis. Now, I know a lot of you are early stage and it's, you know, you're very, and when that comes, what I would suggest is, you know, obviously I would love for you to come work with us and do this robustly, but if you're very early stage, you're already interviewing customers, interview 10, 20, 50 customers, however many you need, start from there because doing that is going to be much better than doing nothing. And um, so, you know, hopefully you get a start and then maybe, you know, later on we end up working together, right? And so eventually we end up ideally something like this, right? Valued metrics. What are parts of the products do I value most and what elements um, do I care most about? Which variables? We also, you know, I mentioned we have a subscription analytics product and we attach a lot of these characteristics to that as well. So what is the lifetime value of every customer? What is their willingness to pay? How much are they willing to acquire? And that's important for not just knowing, you know, what, uh, you know, what, how much you value, but it also, you know, helps to construct what we might actually call an anti-persona. You know, there's a lot of customers that you can probably technically service, but they're going to distract you, they're not your core focus, the unit economics isn't there. So a lot of the time, you know, you might have personas that you can technically serve, but they're going to distract focus from your team. And so a lot of the time, it might actually serve to simply say, hey, we can serve these people, but we're not going to focus on them. Maybe we'll take inbound. We're not going to go after them on outbound. So let's start talking about you know, how we kind of like match these people to how much value they're getting, right? And the first thing is what we call a value metric. Um, you can kind of define this as like the unit of measurement you actually use to set your prices, or kind of more theoretically, it's the unit of exchange that you put out in the world. Um, a lot of people here probably price based off of per user. You're basically saying that number of users using this product is how much value we're getting out of this. Some people price based off of you know, company size, right? The bigger the company, the more value they're going to get out of our product. Depends on, depends on your particular company. There's a lot of companies where that works, but not always. So one example I'd like to point to, since everyone probably knows this, is HubSpot, right? HubSpot prices based, their value metric is the number of marketing contacts. Why? Because the size of your marketing operation is probably going to indicate how much value you're going to get from HubSpot. If I'm a big company with a small audience, I'm not going to get much value. I don't want to pay that much. Vice versa, you know, like at Profile, where we were relatively small, but we had a pretty big marketing audience, we have a lot more use for HubSpot. So we should be charged extra for it. 
So the first thing I would do is figure out, okay, what are potential value metrics that you can set your prices on that are going to be indicative of willingness to pay for your customers? And if you're going to ask me, you know, like, uh, what are, you know, what is a good value metric? Generally, we have like three um, kind of characteristics. Number one is, like I said, aligns with customer value. It scales with the customer. You know, if they get bigger and get more value, then the value metric should scale with them as well. So you can alternate pricing. And lastly, it should be easy to understand. Obviously, if it takes your sales rep 10 minutes to explain your pricing model, that's not going to work, right? Um, and it's going to especially hurt if you're PLG, right? Like if it takes more than, you know, 30 seconds for your target user to understand your PLG pricing, they're going to click off, they're going to bounce, you're going to lose them. And so, again, if you get everything else right, wrong, but you get your value metric right, that provides a foundation for you to revisit this and iterate later. So absolutely get this right. Um, something else to know about as well is um, what we call uh, feature packaging. Basically, you know, it's almost like whenever you see like, you know, a good, better, best, like a three-tier pricing structure, what features do you put in each one based off of who you're trying to sell to? Um, so how do you measure, you know, how do you figure out what's going to sort on each? So uh, what, we, what I like to do is actually kind of do an exercise of this based off of coffee. You know, everyone here probably drinks a ton of it, and um, we can kind of sort through a lot of the different characteristics of coffee that basically suggest how people might price, right? So let's talk about, like, you know, characteristics like you might have taste, country of origin, like how exotic is the, you know, origin of coffee, Temperature, you know, is it hot, is it cold, is it sufficiently so? Um, it has an impact, you know, both, um, you know, my willingness to buy, the value I'm getting, but also my willingness to pay. And, you know, we actually did a quick exercise on this. We kind of draft um, how all of these characteristics got there. Taste is, you know, high impact and willingness to pay, high... Actually, let me step back. So, um, you know, I, I have an admission to make, which is I drink a lot of uh, cheap, crappy Dunkin' Donuts coffee. Why? Because I don't drink coffee for the taste, I drink it for caffeine, and mostly so I have hot, something hot to start the day off with in the, in the winter, something cold, in, something cold in the summer. And so it's like, you know, as long as it gets that job done, you know, with the 20 sugars or whatever, then I'm fine. But if, they were, but if Duncan raised their prices to Starbucks' level, I'd probably buy the Starbucks instead, right? So taste, temperature is something where, like, you know, it doesn't, I'm not necessarily willing to pay just for that cup to be hot, but if it's not hot, then I'm not going to buy it at any price. So it's almost like what we would call a core feature. Then we have taste, right? It's something that broadly increases the demand for that, but that also increases the willingness to pay for that product for, um, for, that, uh, for those customers. So you could think of Starbucks being something that you know, hits those basic requirements, but also tastes a bit better. They can command a higher price. They can also go for a broad set of a market. We call this a differentiable feature, something that will actually help you compete across the board. And lastly, we have something like country of origin. It takes a very specialized part of the market to actually care about that stuff. Most of the time, it's going to be literally like a local specialty coffee shop. So country of origin becomes something that has a high impact on willingness to pay, but not on relative preference. There's only a small part of the market that really cares about it, but the part of the market that cares about it cares about it a lot. And so, you know, we have, we generally often measure the relative preference for all these things. And when we actually um, grade these, we actually kind of sort them into four different categories. Um, and in particular, there's like core features, stuff that is necessary for your product, but isn't going to impact the willingness to pay. You have differentiable features, stuff that a lot of people will in fact like and will increase your ability to charge broadly. And lastly, have add-ons, stuff that only really applies for a small part of the market, but the people who really do care are willing to pay more. And so 
you know, again, this is a process. Your product should improve over time. The market may improve, and that impacts willingness to pay. So as your product brand improves, continue to iterate through this process, and therefore you can tailor your pricing based off of that product market fit. So I mentioned it before, like the idea of like changing prices. We do, in fact, recommend you know, changing prices relatively often and not making this a once-in-a-generation thing. So how do you go about this the right way? Well, the most important thing is get the proper messaging. You know, I think we can all think of companies like Gumroad that have you know, not gotten this quite right in the past. So proper messaging is key. And there's generally three guidelines that we give. Number one is relate to the value delivered, not internal factors. Don't say, I got to protect my margins. Say, hey, I know this hurts for you guys, but this is going to help us fund improvement of our products, and we have this stuff coming on that's going to increase the value you get, and so related to that. We also recommend being explicit about what you're changing and when. You know, we've had smaller competitors who gave a 30-paragraph email and then put the pricing change in the 28th paragraph. That's just, I don't think that's ethical. But also it implies that like, you have to hide the amount you're charging instead of being upfront about what you're charging, but also about the, benef- about the value you're giving them. So be upfront. But also, do be empathetic and do show goodwill and understand that, hey, maybe some of these customers, you know, they've been loyal to you, they signed up for you early on, maybe it can take some flexibility in kind of terms of grandfathering prices. And it really depends on which kind of products you have, right? So, you know, we have a huge database of examples of this since we help with this messaging. Um, and, you know, uh, this is just one example. I'm happy to email um, these out if you, uh, if you get my email. Um, but... You know, we have an example of like basically communicating the value and um, showing being empathetic. And um, one thing we often do is at the end we'll put in a PS like, hey, if this materially impacts you, like you're you're crunched for cash right now. Let's let's talk. We want to work with you. We really care about the relationship, even if we think the pricing change is justified. Cool. Um, am I out of Am I out of time? Got it. Cool. Um, yeah. So. I'm going to have to leave the add-ons out, but uh, yeah, hopefully this was helpful. Thank you. (laughs)